Chesterbrook Academy Preschool is ready to welcome your child into the classroom with a curriculum that challenges and inspires students, a daily routine that helps them thrive, plenty of time to play with friends, and most important, enhanced safety measures to keep everybody safe. Preschool is possible at Chesterbrook Academy. Contact us today to schedule an open house appointment on Saturday, March 20th, or schedule a virtual information session. Visit ChesterbrookAcademy.com to find a preschool near you. You're listening to Transmission Roundhouse. You're listening to The Wobbly Road on Transmission Roundhouse. I'm your host, Tatum Swithenbank. When I became disabled at age 18, I experienced years of limbo before getting a diagnosis, and the road continues to change and challenge. On each episode, I'll be chatting to guests about their off-kilter moments and how they've endured, adapted, and flourished. Today's guest is Alyssa Rochelle. We met on an early Tuesday morning, and I'm not a morning person, so I thought it was going to be a real struggle, but we had a lot of coffee and a lot of good chat, and I'm really excited for you to hear Alyssa's personal story. We talk about growing up in a cult, the after effects of trauma and the unexpected turn of events that put her in a coma. Content warning, this conversation involves sexual abuse and trauma. We've got coffees in hand. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy we're here because it's taken months to get here. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we had to do a lot of moving around, didn't we? (laughs) I feel like you're the type of person who thrives in the morning, though. No, I'm really not. Like, I've recently started scheduling things in the morning just so I kind of, like, get up and, like, arrive at the moment. Because for me, I I, de- I definitely wake up quite late. I'm not an early morning person. Like, I'm not a 4 a.m. person at all. I'm more of a half eight in the morning. I wake up for the first time and be like, what? Mm. Um, no, so that's definitely okay. not me. We're doing really well, then. <laughs> well, let's we see how we go. <laughs> We're doing good. Um, so I set the scene. I know you because... Being the diamond that you are, you set me up with a mentor when you were working for a programme helping young creatives. And now you've got your own youth development programme. So I um so I started to set up my own youth development platform um called Ting, which is great name. Thank you. A lot of people love that. And that it came to me because sorry, <clears throat> early morning. Yeah, sorry. Quote. <laughs> It came to me because I, I was saying it a lot. Like, I always say thing. Like, it's part of my language. Like, my heritage is Jamaican. And I suppose it's just what I say. And a lot of young people say it all the time. And so when I looked at the word, I was like, okay, this is a word that's already in my vocabulary. How can I make it mean something? Um, and so I kind of, like, created an acronym. And it stands for Together Inspiring the Next Generation. Um Okay. Yeah, that is amazing. Because <laughs> I was just thinking, yeah, you like, cherry bean thing. Like, yeah, that's yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. And you've really actually like thought I really it thought through. about it. I was like, I can't just be like, oh, ting sounds cool. Like, now what does it actually mean? And for me, working with young people for so long, I felt like the common gaps were... I've worked in um, spaces where I've managed to give so many opportunities to young people. And um, it's been amazing. But the person that I am, I've always been the type of person that develops relationships with with that young person and realises that even though the opportunity is amazing, they might not be in the place in their life they need to be to access the opportunity um, because of their personal background, their family background, their mental health, their whatever. And and so with Together Inspiring the Next Generation, it's like me working um, with 
agencies, clients, um, mental health services. Like I want to just like, it's like a multi-agency approach, we call it in the youth work world. But um, I want to kind of like bring in all these services to support a young person on their journey. So yes, we give you amazing opportunities, but we also um, hook it with a counsellor if you need it or a coach if you need it or a mentor if you need it. And then those people are um, well prepared to support you as well as the team. That is so cool. Yeah. I think that's what people miss um, because there'll be like stuff for under 25s or under yeah. 27s. But uh, I think I was talking to you about it, actually. I always find it really hard when I was on the programme that you helped mm-hmm. me find the mentor because as much as I was then getting job opportunities, I couldn't take those because I was in a position where I was in a, right. a hostel, a homeless hostel. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. I, had to, I was on benefits at the time because I couldn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, oh then I need the support of how do I work around this? How many days a week can I work? How am I going to deal with this whilst living in a homeless hostel? And it's kind of, you need that support within these programmes. 100%. So yeah, you are the perfect example of why this program's been set up because you, like you, you you did tell me that, but then it's like, I know a hundred other people that have similar stories. So it's not, it's not just happening to you. And I, and I don't think that these programmes, that one that you are on are, I don't think they're bad. I think they're amazing programs, but I just don't think that people who lead those organisations have the foresight to see the bigger picture because they've not lived those experiences well. I've said to you before, I've lived in a hostel. Like, I've had to, like, be on benefits and I've had to navigate being... You know, like, when you're... And you will know about this, Tatum. When you're a bright young person or you're just smart, all of the adults around you are like, oh, my God, she's amazing. Mm. And they just, like, love kind of, like, having you around shining, but they don't, like, know how to manage the other sides of you that are like that's so real do you know what I mean yeah. so it's kind of like I've always been the person who was in like top set and I've always been like gifted and talented and like the amount of shit that happened to me when I was in secondary school I think that it was um overlooked because of my personality because I'm a, an achiever because I'm personable because do you know what I mean yeah and, and people like, kind of they put so much of that on you that you create this identity that you have, have to kind to of hold up, up. yeah, yeah. You've which got is to be more damaging kid. yeah because then you're <laughs> You're like oh who do I go to when I'm not right. feeling that good yeah and so for me like I'm still fleshing out this program and I, and I recently had a conversation with myself about the fact that it might take about five years to actually like create a model that really really works and it's going to be going to be a lot of trial and error but do you know what I mean yeah. I just think that there are enough people in this world that have the answers mm. and I just I just feel like we should all be like connecting and working together to make sure yeah, yeah. That sounds amazing. I'm so excited for you. And for everyone who's going to be on it, that's just (laughs) ideal. You were brought up in Birmingham, weren't you? Yeah. Yes, Midlands gang. Yeah, yeah. Slap that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I was born in Birmingham in 1986. My mum was a single parent when I was born. So my dad lives in New York and has lived there since I was born. There's an issue of timeline there. I need to ask the adults in my life more questions. But, like, he was there. He's been there forever. It's um, weird, isn't it? Because, like, when you've experienced so many different things in your life like, and someone asks you, it, it's really hard to find the timeline when you, mm. especially if you've experienced some sort of trauma yeah. or you haven't had a good mm-hmm. relationship with your parents, it's like you have never really asked those questions because you don't have a good relationship. And then you're trying to piece it together and you're like, whoa, it's all over the place. Like, the, and on that, I've got to a point now where I've realised so much of what I kind of know is a story that I've created in my head because I've pieced things together. It doesn't mean that it's not, it's not like completely untrue. It's just my version of events. Um, 
which kind of then leads to forgiveness at some point. As we, maybe we can get into that a little bit yeah. later because it's yeah, kind of like, well, what do you do with that story that you've created? And yeah, yeah. I, that type of thing. So yeah, born in Birmingham to a single parent. Um, my mom was super, super religious. Maybe has her own mental. I mean, I am convinced she does have her own mental health issues. She's never been diagnosed. I can't really speak any more than that. And as a result of kind of like her own religious affiliation and her mental health, potential mental health, she found herself um, in a situation where she was in a cult, essentially. And um, she was in a cult, which meant I was in a cult because I was a child. And I ended up being sexually abused by the leader of the cult for a very, very long time. So I think just like going back to what we just said about being in school and being that kid that was just like high achieving and stuff i'm thinking like from the from literally year seven until year 11 when it all kind of like fell apart oh like i was being abused on a daily basis um and so what happened was when the um sexual abuse was over and i had to go to court and everything i basically i lied to the judge and i said that nothing had happened because from the ages of 11 to 16, that was my life. So I didn't actually know in a weird way. Like, abuse is such a weird thing. You know that it's not right because you don't tell anybody. Because that's the thing. You're not talking about it to your friends or anyone. Nobody knew. But but you also don't know if it's wrong. It's weird. It's just... Yeah. I can't explain it. It's just a very weird... Um, thing that happens to your brain I suppose it is the trauma in your brain and the, the flight and the fight and the the coping mechanisms and all of the things that happen in there to kind of like allow you to even be abused for that long and so I only I think I got to about 21 before I realized what had actually happened to me do you know what I mean so when I was um 11 to 16 and I'm in and I'm experiencing abuse I wasn't I don't think I was aware that I was experiencing it if that makes sense because it was just my life yeah, and do you think you had kind of... You can feel at that age when you're younger that something's wrong, mm -hmm. but you don't have... You've not quite, like, uh, built the emotional intelligence to be able to, like, actually really understand it mm -hmm. and actually it's a survival thing, so you're just existing in that. Yeah. And that's just your... That's your reality. Yeah. Yeah, that was just my reality. And all of the adults in my life seem to be functioning fine. Like, nobody seemed to be... Um, questioning things or like make like like making me realize that things were wrong so for me it was just like everybody's fine i'm i must be the crazy one type thing or i just i must just be yeah like not really um not really i might i must not be normal and there must have been another layer because you were in a cult. So yeah, what, so this what is was the religious. This? Oh, yeah. so this is a thing. Oh my gosh, this is a whole thing. When you're training to be any type of person who works with people, you're trained about the different types of abuse. So you know that there's financial abuse, emotional abuse, physical, sexual. Um, I feel like there's five. I'm not sure, but I can't remember what the fifth one is. But we don't consider spiritual abuse to be a thing, and it really, 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 really is. And I can't remember her name for me at the moment, but there's that young girl at the moment that was radicalised and she's gone over to ISIS and she's not allowed back in the country and whatever else. And it's just like, that whole thing for me is really triggering because that as much as she is now being like pitched to us as a terrorist, this girl was spiritually abused and 
has made ridiculous life um, choices as a result of the situation that she was in. She was a child, so there's part of me that really has a lot of compassion for her. Um, but also, like, it's, it's a very tricky situation. I just don't think that spiritual abuse has been something that society has put in a category and started to explore. Yeah. Um, it's a very real, real thing. So, yeah, outside of being... I was spiritually abused, I was sexually abused, physically abused, and my family, to a certain extent, were financially abused. Mm. So there's like a lot of abuse happening, so many different layers of abuse, and it's just such a a dense cobweb of stuff where it's kind of like, where the hell do you start to unpack this stuff? So for me, at 16, when he, he did go to prison, by the way, he went to prison, but not because obviously I didn't say anything. He went to prison because the judge just thought he was, the judge had proof that he had um, been physically abusing other people. Right. Um, in my family so he went to prison for that and I divorced myself and my family at that time and did you how um, was your relationship with your mum by then it was already strained and I still don't have a relationship with her now Um, so by then yeah like like in my mind like I couldn't understand how I had just experienced these things and you have to understand like the average 16 year old (laughs) take away all the trauma isn't can be angry and just a lot like with that stuff on top of it and I'm looking at my mum like how the hell have you allowed this to happen I actually don't even understand why I'm angry because I'm not really sure what happened but I just know that you could have done more yeah and the person that's supposed to look after you and love you the most didn't do that yeah um and so like I said I emancipated myself from her um obviously not legally I just stopped talking to her and kind of like got my own flat and started to do my own thing so that's still based in Birmingham yeah yeah so I'm still in Birmingham at that time and went to college like a normal teenager and like try to keep it moving and I have to I have to reflect on this now because this is a reflection of like I'm 33 now and I've been in therapy since September um and which is interesting and when I think about that I'm like how did you wait so long like it's so crazy but it's trauma and the way how it affects your brain it's just all it's all in there (laughs) and it's all coming out I suppose that in phases Mm. and that you're able to cope with it I went to college and once again, on the whole kind of Rochelle is a good child, I went to college and I sat in the, um, what do you call it, the enrolment hall. And I had all my GCSEs because I got all of them. Can you imagine? I got 11 GCSEs. What? I don't actually understand my that life. It's so weird. How did I do that? I have no idea how I got these GCSEs. I really don't know. Let me tell you a tiny little other story, a little segue. When in, in that college, I... Um, had asked my careers advisor like he said to me what do you want to do and I said I want to work in the music industry I want to be an A&R and he was like what's that <laughs> first thing and then he was like okay just let sit with me for a minute let me just go away and research and then I don't think like I don't know where he went but I feel like our next meeting was like a week later <laughs> Like, it's not oh, like, let me just jump on the internet. Like, this is yeah. 2002, guys. I don't know what he was doing, but... He went to the library or something. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he came back and he told me that his research had told him that um, A&Ring didn't exist anymore. And that it was a really hard in- industry to get into. And um, it just wasn't going to happen for me. So I was just like, okay, well, childcare it is then. Because, like, you have to understand my trauma, kind of like my trauma abuse brain. I do what people tell me to do. Right. So I didn't, like, I didn't, there was nothing in me that said, look into this yourself, like, get your own information. Absolutely nothing. So I'm enrolling for childcare, and, um, which is a BTEC, and the lady who's enrolling me says, you've got all the GCSEs you need to do A-levels, so I'm not going to enroll you onto a BTEC. Here's a list of A-levels, go away and choose some and come back. And I was like, once again, okay, like, (laughs) I just... (laughs) 
Like I was, I never had anything in me that was that was like um. Uh, I didn't question anything. Yeah, yeah. It's like whatever that I don't sure. say, I'll do it. Which once again is a trauma thing. It's a yeah. trauma after effect. And I went away and I chose dance because I love to dance. I didn't think too much into. It. I didn't think about notation and all the dry stuff that comes with A level dance. I was like, I just want to shake my ass. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> um, I did English because I could do English in school. I Makes just, sense. Yeah, <laughs> so I just do that. And then um, I couldn't choose the third one because then all, all the random stuff, like I didn't want to do maths or science because I just knew that wasn't where my brain was. And um, the woman was like, what about sociology? Do you like um, understanding people? And I was like, yeah, I guess I do. And when I say I, I signed up, that changed my life, like, so much. I am um, in the first, like, term... I remember, like, I don't remember much about things, but I remember the modules because they were that life-changing. Like, we did mass media, education, religion and family. And going through each of the modules and kind of understanding how people kind of, like, operate in society. And I think it was is it Marxism when he says religion is the opium of the people. I was floored. Yeah. I was in my lesson. I was like, this has just explained everything that I have been through for the past four or five years like, and it's good because probably for that first time you kind of claimed that as like oh this is what i i want to do and it yeah. feels right when before you were just kind of saying yes to stuff yeah, that was yeah. given to you or, yeah. or suggested and then you're like oh this feels right this feels right that that doing sociology was the divine intervention that i needed it was like we watched um videos at the time of cults and stuff there were basically um, charismatic leaders in both of the, the cult leaders. And they just had loads of people that kind of lived on the edges of, you know, there are certain places in the world where are not governed by laws. Mm. So like, say, for example, like, I think one of them was in Guyana, but there's like a, it's like a forest in the middle of nowhere where it's like, basically the law ends at that point. So they find places to live like that so they can just literally build their own um, societies and do what they want. And then he was like, yeah, I'm Jesus or the equivalent of and everyone should believe me. And then towards the basically, the, they basically both got their groups of people that were following them to kill themselves. One of them set the whole village on fire and the other one convinced all of his followers to drink cyanide and they all died. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. yeah. And what got to me is when we were watching the documentary, which I think was a Channel 4 documentary, um, they were interviewing survivors and... The survivors still believed that this person was who they said. And I was just like, this cult shit goes way deeper than I can even imagine. So I'm like, I'm still 17, 18, and I've just freshly come out of this situation myself. And I'm I'm understanding the levels of, like, how deep it goes, um, control goes. And, yeah, I was becoming aware of how... Um, oh, what is the word... There's a word when it's sinister, this can really get. And at that time, still hadn't spoken to anyone. Nobody knew what had happened to me. So I'm just having these, like, emotional reactions. Was that quite a positive thing to be able to watch these documentaries and kind of then be able to see it from an outside point of view yeah. of the situation? Yeah, yeah. It was like the best. Like, I think it was honestly divine intervention. It was literally the best thing for me because it was it was the first time when I saw my situation from a study like it was like oh no this is this has been happening before me because another thing about being abused is that you think you're the only person you just do like and i've met so many people that are abused and they've all say that they just never thought it was happening to anyone else 
And outside of the actual abuse, it was the cult situation. It was the religious abuse around it or the spiritual abuse around it that allowed me to believe that. No, this is something that um, I now believe that cult leaders um, set out to do. Like, mm. I just believe that now. I feel like, I feel like they, they're from a young person, like a young person, they're like, I want to have a group of people that follow me and I'm going to do what I need to do. So I feel like it's the character default. Yeah, it's interesting because I guess... Like, with people who actually want to make a positive difference in life, they wouldn't really feel like they have to lead people or it's be like this the kind most of uncomfortable saint. thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm aware of my personality and how people like to be around me and stuff like that, but there's a thing in me that's like, don't follow me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to be a leader. Like, leave it on my own. Because I just think that there's a really fine line between having a really charismatic personality and and that switching over into, like, a power dynamic where you're like, I'm now in control of these of these people. I think with cults, like I get, like I get groups of um, people living in smaller communities for like the gay and like let's, for example, um, all live together in one house. So we split. The, like the the initial idea is that we don't have to pay as much rent or mortgage because we're living collectively. So well, yeah, you live trading things rather yeah, than money, yeah. and it's a community. Like that's different. It's, sure, it sounds great, but then I feel like whenever there's people involved, there's always someone who's gonna be kind of like go a little bit left. GCSE English, <laughs> a little pivot. <laughs> I read Lord of the Flies. Did you read it? Yeah. So do you know what I mean? So it's like even though they're kids. And they're in the, you know, they're, they're by themselves. There's always that moment where it's kind of like, it just shifts a little bit because I just think it's innate within humans. Control thing. The control's mm-hmm. innate. And there's always like one person who just cannot control themselves and they just take it to the next level. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't have faith in power structures and groups of people. That's my personal yeah. thing. Um, and so, yeah. And so what that meant is that I, I stepped away from Christianity and that all happened in college as well. Um, when, you know, you feel like there's forms and they're like, are you this, are you that? And I'm like, I'm not ticking the Christian box. I can't tick this box because I don't feel like I am. I've never ticked that box ever since. Like, I always just tick other. Because mm. um, I feel like even the spiritual boxes, because it's interesting because people, spirituality is different for different people. So it's like, what do you actually mean with it's that so box? True. It should be an astrology box. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I tick. <laughs> I'm such a basic. <laughs> um. So yeah, so yeah. my kind of takeaway from my experience is that like I can't I'm a I'm a spiritual person in the sense of that I still believe that there's a higher power. I believe that I know I have I know with my personal experiences that there's always been um a light for me. So sociology was the light when I was in college type of thing. There's always been a light. I cannot deny that in my life. So for me, um I believe in higher power, I believe in God, but I I'm not a Christian. Yeah, exactly. I think people get really afraid of the word God um, because they kind of uh, connect it to different people or religion or symbols or things. But actually it's cool to take a little bit of everything from what works for you and form something from that. And that's what I've been able to do. Uh, Yeah. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. So, because I'd like to talk about when you went to Jamaica and what yeah. happened. So, can we go? Timeline. So, in college, 17, 18, my dad calls me at 18. 
And um, had you not spoken to dad ever? I had spoken to him, but like... Yeah, I had spoken to him, but like he had come to England once and, and we had hung out like once and like we wasn't and like I didn't know him. Do you know what I mean? And I wasn't com- comfortable with him. Um, So he got my phone number and he called me and he said, hey, Michelle, you're 18 now. You get to make your own decisions. And when I think about that conversation now as a 33 year old, I'm like, there's something that happened between him and my mum where he was like, you know what? I can't do this. I'm just going to wait till she's 18. Now I can make that connection myself. Once again, we tell ourselves stories with the information that we have. And he was like, you're 18 now. You can make your own decisions. I would love to have a relationship with you. I'd love you to come to Jamaica and meet my mum. Um, and I'll pay for you. Do you want to come? And I was like 18. So I was like, yeah, but only if my friend can. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Literally, that's what I said to him. And he was like, cool. I suppose he was in a situation where he was like, I, however she gets here, she needs to just, I just wanted her to come. So um, my friend and I went out to Jamaica um, in 2006 when I was 18. And, um, after about a week, I started to get the worst headache I have ever had in my life. This headache, like, it was, it was, it used to hurt on the outside of my head. So it would hurt, like, here. I remember touching and being like, I don't know why this is so tender to touch on the outside. Symptoms I was having was, like, headaches. I was, like, collapse, falling over, or, like, collapsing, like, fainting. That's the word. Fainting, collapsing. And... Um, loss of appetite which really irritated me because I love my food and I'm in Jamaica like of course I want to eat everything but the food's making me feel nauseous like the smell of everything was making me feel so nauseous um, so that went on for a few days and my dad works in um, he works for emergency services in New York so he's the kind of person who like just knows how to like keep a check on you um, so he's like giving me all like the aspirins and all the things that he would I suppose advise and then one night I got up to go to the toilet and as I'm like washing my hands, you know, like often people have the, the the cabinet over the sink with the mirror. I remember this so clearly in my brain, washing my hands and my eyes started to shut and I just fell. So um, obviously I'm in the bathroom. My grandma's like, oh, everyone's screaming, doing the absolute most. And she's like, you know what? Tomorrow, go straight to the doctors. That's what I did. And so we went straight to the doctors and he checked me over and he said, I think you have meningitis, which is not what I had, but this is what he said. I think you have meningitis. And I need to say, this is what I said to him. Does that mean I'm going to die then? So, like, that is, like, a really awesome response. But, like, now when I think about it, I'm like, I think I was over life anyway at that point. I think I was done. Like, for me, it was just, like... It's like when you've experienced so much trauma, like, in moments of danger, you just stay really neutral. So numb. Yeah. So numb. Like, that isn't even a response. Like, And he looked at me like, are you stupid? Like, why would you say right. that? And I was just like, just just tell me it's fine. I said, you know what? Okay, I don't want to stay here. I want to go back to England. Um, he said, if you get on that plane, you will die. So my advice is you go straight to the hospital from here. So I went to the hospital and um, they did a lumbar puncture. Do you know what that is? It's like mm-hmm. when they put a needle in the base of your spine because they draw the fluid from your, your brain. Fluid goes up and down your spine. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. That's the best way I can explain it. Um, <laughs> like, not great with science. But yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So there's a fluid that travels from your brain and up and down your spine, and they can they can see what's happening in your brain by doing a lumbar puncture because the fluid is obviously indicative of what's happening right. there. So when they've done that, they've said um, I had this thing called encephalitis, which is a viral infection that affects the brain. 
and um, essentially my brain was becoming inflamed. It was it was probably probably the headache was it was just getting too much like too big. And then I don't really remember much else because after that I started to become unresponsive. And um, literally from that moment on, from them telling me that I had encephalitis that night, I I really don't remember. They um, I went into a side room because I weren't really sure if it was contagious or not, and I just completely um shut down. So my dad says that it was over a few days. I started basically just gibberishing, like not really making sense about what, like I don't know what I was saying. Oh, it's just gibberish for a few days, and then um, my friend says that my dad was on the way home from the hospital one day and he got a call from the hospital saying you need to come back. Now, obviously, he works in hospitals, so he knows what that means. And he came back and they were doing the, the thing when they're like, they're, um, so they're shocking me to, you know, they're hoping they go, clear, <sighs> that thing. Um, wow. I'm, this is what I've been told, right? Because obviously I do not remember this. And um, they clearly obviously got a heartbeat and then they put me into the ICU. Um, which is when I was in the coma for a week. And so I think the coma is really interesting because I, I listen to a lot of people's coma stories now just to kind of compare notes. <laughs> I, was such, I was such a weirdo. How do I think I felt at this time? <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, like, oh, what happened to you? Is, so for me, like, the coma was interesting in the sense of, like, now I've been told I was out for a week. I don't know that. Like, I was sleeping. You had no concept of you had time. No concept of time. And that it makes me think about death a lot in a weird way because I'm just like, well, I don't know. Like, I suppose our brains can't imagine what death is like because we're human and we're alive. And I don't, I don't know how much we're supposed to even think about that side. But um, I was, I was sleeping. I remember hearing everything, like every conversation that was happening around me. So I always say, if you know anyone in that space, God forbid, talk to them because they are listening and they can hear you. In as much as like, once again, I was like in college. Um, in the college time of my life so the stories that my friend was telling me was like about her boyfriend who got caught dancing in a club with this girl and I was like in my brain and she's telling me she goes you never guess what Rochelle and she goes you know Anton and I remember saying yeah <laughs> like wow. I remember saying yeah and she's like he was he got caught dancing with Lala at um there's a club in Birmingham um called like the, it was called the works at the time he got caught dancing with her in the works and she was uh, basically cussing about it and I was just like you know what he's so out of order blah 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 so when I came out of the coma and my friend wanted to tell me the story for real about Anta and I was like you already told me this she was like, why are we having the same conversation again and she was just like did you hear me I was like like I'm sure I responded she was like no you were in the coma I was like no like I definitely remember saying yeah like oh my god he's like, so out of order That's like, I can't remember that and then I remember like I had a bit of a um I remember waking up out of the coma like I remember that so clearly because I just woke up <laughs> And, like, there were all people around me, like, with the nurses and whatever else. And I just remember, like, touching my face. And there's, like, there was a tube in my nose. And I thought it was a bogey. Because <laughs> I was, like, it was just massive. And I was, like, this is so embarrassing. I need to pull this out before everybody sees me. So I've pulled the tube or tried to pull it out of my nose. And obviously that's when the machines started doing what they were doing, like, beeping and stuff. And the nurses were, like, no, 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 no. And then I was awake. That's my coma story, but the I suppose like what I haven't said, well, I kind of mentioned it a little bit, is that I used to dance, and which is why I chose to dance A-level. And for me, coming out of that coma and realising that I couldn't walk, like the nurses 
one nurse came to me one day and she said um can you can you move your legs can you just move your legs for me and I was like what a stupid question of course I can move my legs and then I was like oh shit I can't move my legs like the realization that I couldn't move my legs meant that I couldn't dance and for me that was the one thing that had kept me sane like in spite of everything like dance was the consistent thing and that was heartbreaking that was heartbreaking because because I suppose the doctors didn't really know like how I would end up because I don't think you really do like you can't predict oh you're gonna get a full functionality of everything like there are people that come back from these situations that have like their legs amputated or nobody could tell me what would be my situation so there was just this kind of like period of time where I was just like anxious I think I had my first panic attack in hospital like I never knew what I I had anxiety clearly I had anxiety before then because of all of the stuff I've been through but I had my first attack like of shaking and crying um in the bed in Jamaica and it was probably because for so long you've been in survival mode and you just you've you'd experienced so many things in your life Mm -hmm. and then that point you probably for the first time really like released and just felt like you couldn't you couldn't move forward because you were literally in a hospital bed yeah so you had to face everything that you were feeling yeah yeah and how long after the coma did you experience things like what did it affect you for a while after like when could you walk or so with the walking I think in Jamaica I think I was in Jamaica from July and I got back literally the day before my birthday so September the 7th around I got back and at that time I was Zimmer framing so I think I started to get some movement but like I couldn't I could probably just do like not even the length of this room I could do I think I was walking strongly without any um Zimmer frame in about like six months but I had no I had no strength though and that was another thing that started to get to me and I was like once again you're young and your friends are everyone's young like I don't blame these people now but it was like we'd go out and like I said I didn't have a Zimmer frame so I could go into the city centre but everyone's walking really fast and people don't understand that I can't actually gather the speed to keep up because my even though I'm walking like I don't have the muscle power to just walk at a normal pace like I everything is super slow for me um and that was another moment and it's horrible because you're trying to be a teenager and try and be normal and keep Mm -hmm. up with everyone else Mm -hmm. and you also don't want to be a burden and feel like you have to you know ask people to like slow down or you also don't know how to yeah yeah exactly because who has ever who how have I ever like who's taught me how to say or ask for what I need ever in life nobody so for me to even think like I need people to walk slowly around me because or my friends, at least people I'm with, because I really can't keep up. Like, that's not a thought that I have. The thought is, I'm stupid, I can't walk, everyone walks faster than me, and, like, I just need to not come out of my house until I can walk fast, which isn't the thing, because you need to walk so you can get to that point. Um, So I just think that, I think that trauma affects people in so many ways, and I just think that I'd really like there to be, like, more more services when it comes to like the police education teachers social workers i don't know how much they do around trauma to really understand how it affects people's um behaviors and their brain i just don't i mean i never experienced people knowing enough to help me Mm, yeah even identify this for myself i'm 33 now and let me say the reason why i'm so aware of it now and vocal about it now and educated is um youtube instagram (laughs) Like these are the re- this is how I know what I know. Like 
And then obviously the own research that I do off the back of that. But it's never really been um, professionals. And you could only do that research when you had the capacity to do it. Yeah. So it's like, well. yeah, now you're you're an age where you're doing this work. Yeah. And you've been, um, you know, you're going to therapy or you do your spiritual practices and mm-hmm. things or wh- whatever you do to kind of work through that and create boundaries and and find a way to express yourself. And now you can say to people without feeling shame, hey, I can't come out because of this reason. Mm-hmm. But you had to do all that work on your own. Yeah. No one was there you know helping you articulate things no. or helping you work through it Mm-mm. so things get pushed back like for ages yeah and then it's really hard because you're trying to keep up with everyone else when actually it's really really bad for your health yeah and there isn't any support system if you don't have parents or a family yeah. that can take you in for a bit so you've got that healing time it's like yeah. this morning when i saw you you were just like i just need a year i just need a year off so, yeah. been, all i need is a year yeah and like no rent. I don't know how I'm going to make money. I just, I don't want to think about that bit. I just want to, I just need a year to just breathe and just be like, okay, that's it. And then I'll come back, I'll be fine. But I need a year. You need that time to process everything that's happened. And if you don't have like a safety net, then that just keeps getting pushed back Mm -hmm. further and further. Mm -hmm. So after everything that you've experienced, how did you rebuild your life and what, what things do you put in place now that to look after your physical, mental, spiritual health? I think um, one of the big things for me has been um, having really, really clear boundaries, boundaries that have come from understanding my own needs. Um, So we spoke a little bit about like not knowing what my needs were. Like I've had to really pause and really ask myself those questions like, like, who are you? Who are you and what do you need and why do you need those things? And then how do you ask for them? Because I think a long time I had a wall up Uh, for obvious reasons and I thought that was the boundary I was like people can't take the piss out of me I'm gonna have all these walls but what I realized is that they were actually barriers and they weren't healthy and there were barriers that kept some good people out because I just wasn't really sure about their behaviors Rochelle previously would have felt emotional like I want to say for no reason sometimes this trauma in you catches you and you'll be crying for days for no reason, right? It's just, you just, you're just crying. <laughs> like it happens. And I, if I had a commitment, I'd still go because I've said that I'm going to go and everybody there is going to expect me to be the person who I, I am, which is the, the, you know, the positive person and whatever else. And then they're going to take it because that's what people do. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that I now know that if I cannot give, I cannot um, put myself in situations where people are um, taking from me. But I would say the the biggest gift from from everything that I've experienced has been um, being able being able to listen to people. And I, I saw I saw a once again Instagram quote about kind of like trauma making people psychic, and I'm just like it's a bit of a reach. But the my intuition is next level. Yeah, I think that's kind of true because. I've experienced a lot of trauma too. And um, when I, I don't know if you relate to this, but you go into a space and you see everything. You're fully aware. Yes. Is next so level. you're like checking out the space, making sure it's safe, who's here, blah, blah, what what energy, like how am I feeling? Yeah. How am I going to navigate this space? And that's done in five seconds? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's so true. Yeah. Because you have this kind of psychic um, intuition. Yeah. And you, you see things and you're hi- hyper aware. Hyper aware. And I'm drawn, if someone's really sad, like, I'm like, 
energetically like hugging them it's like is that person okay like I want them to know if they want to speak to me it's fine like I always I'm just so aware of how um how people carry things and how much um because I've been a person who I don't want people to see anything I don't want you to know about me I've been I've lived that life of like seen but not visible that's the thing and so because I know what that is I can see that so for me it's like I think the reason why I attract and I have so many friends and people around me is because I, I'd like to feel like they feel seen. Um, but that's a gift that I've been given because of what I've experienced. I just, it's not, I wasn't born with this. Like, And I guess because you weren't given that space. <laughs> and I wasn't given that space and nobody saw me. Yeah. All you want to do is make sure that somebody feels that they can be seen. Yeah. yeah. So I just say for anybody that's experienced any of the things or like, is just starting to identify with ways that they've been neglected themselves. Um, find someone to speak to. Literally, if you don't have a good friend, because I, I am aware that friendship isn't... I my What I have in friends, I'm just so blessed. I'm, I'm aware that people don't have great friendships all the time. Um, go to your doctor if you have to and just mention that this thing has happened to you. You might want to speak to someone else. Just speak to someone. Please don't keep it to yourself because your body will force you into spaces and um, that you don't want to be in, like you'll be ill. Um, potentially because that's how trauma shows up it shows up in ailments for the yeah. most part if you haven't taken that time out your body's gonna your make body will you. force you um and and it can show up however like i have really um i have um really bad knees when i'm stressed like to the point where i'm limping and um i'll go to the doctors and they're like yeah there's actually nothing there like and i'm just like this is spiritual like it's all my body just always forcing me to pay attention to the thing that's making me um stressed or anxious or whatever one thing and then two when you are speaking about um your trauma um please just do it in spaces that are safe for you um because i've done it in spaces where i've been triggered because other people have had similar traumas but they've had their like, a, like an amazing family system around them and so like i had a mum once who's just like oh yeah so we just you know we just took her to um, Harley Street and she, we just uh, and I'm just like I don't know why you're telling me this mm. this is a lot like I get that we've both had similar traumas but like like her family network and the support triggered me um, and so I think it's just really really important to kind of like know what you've experienced and like um, either heal it enough so you're able to go and speak about it wherever you want to speak about it or just know where you can and you can't because you know like I'm you, when you're in a situation where you're speaking about trauma, you don't know. There are so many things that are interlinked to your trauma. So for me, it's also family. Do you know what I mean? Um, and you, you can't you can't ever know like where another trigger is going to come up. <laughs> so and sometimes like, you have to give it like so much space before you can actually talk about that. Like you're openly talking about your experiences, but probably at the time you, you didn't have the capacity mm-hmm. or the... Um, you weren't healed enough to be yeah. able to talk about that. So, like, that's really good advice because you're saying yeah. to people, don't talk about it until you're ready to talk yeah. about it. But do tell someone because you can yeah. have a massive vulnerability come down. Like, yeah, when yeah. I do public speaking yeah. and I've really, like, given so much of myself and talked about my mm-hmm. abuse, after, like, because I don't have a support network, what I do now, but mm-hmm. a few years ago I didn't, mm-hmm. I would literally be bedbound for a week. Yeah, like, it was I know. awful. It's relatable. Like, seriously. Well, annoyingly, <laughs> don't want to stop talking, but have to... Um, Ask the last question. Okay. So I ask everyone, if you could bottle a feeling and open it and experience it at any time, what would it be? I'd say joy. Like, joy is good. Because I think 
I think happiness is overrated. Like, I'm happy. Like, no, joy is like an inner... Joy Joy for me is peaceful. It's kind of like an inner kind of like, oh, I, feel, I feel good and it's joyful and it's, it's present and it's here, if that makes sense. Where happiness for me is very much like... Um, if you can kind of imagine like, you know, like singers, people have their head voice and their chest voice. I feel like joy is chest and happy is head. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that is profound. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like happiness is very, it's fleeting. And I feel like joy is very much so like present and it's here. Yeah. So and it's, it's really like surrendering to yeah, the feeling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so I think it would be joy. Thank you for joining The Wobbly Road. I'm your host and producer, Tatum Swithenbank. A huge thanks to my co-producer, Bridie Addison-Child. We are powered by Transmission Roundhouse, music by James Christie. Catch you next time. Imagine cooking dinner with Blue Apron, finally unwinding. Trying new recipes for your lifestyle, like vegetarian, WW approved, carb conscious and more learning new skills and discovering new territory all without breaking your budget imagine all this in one box delivered right to your door check out blue apron's new wellness menu and get 80 dollars off your first four orders when you visit blueapron.com slash 80 off